Chapter thirty three of Half a Century by Jane Grey Swisshelm. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Sumner, Burlingame, and Cassius M. Clay. The Republican Party was organized in Pittsburgh, and when it became national through the Philadelphia Convention in the summer of fifty six and nominated Fremont, it seemed that it might injure rather than aid the party to have a woman take a prominent place in it the nursling political abolition was out of its cradle had grown to man's estate and with bearded lip had gone forth to battle a man among men there were honours and emoluments to be won in the cause of the slave and no doubt of its final triumph the visitor had been sold to mr riddle and united with his weekly thus extending its circulation and cutting off the ruinous expense of its publication the journal was thoroughly republican and would be ably conducted no further need of a page devoted to freedom when every page was consecrated to the overthrow of slavery before taking action it was best to consult an old subscriber charles sumner then on the allegheny mountains recovering from the brooks assault i took baby and went to see him he was domiciled in the family of dr jackson pennsylvania state geologist and seemed to be one of it in the sitting-room were his desk and lounge where he wrote or lay and talked principally with dr furness of philadelphia who was with him devoting an ever-growing store of information to the amusement of his friend dr jackson was full of instruction and no man more ready than sumner to learn he held that all knowledge was useful in adding to one's resources inquired minutely about the shoeing of the horse he rode and over a watermelon at dessert the doctor gave a lecture on amputation which became a large capital to one at least of his hearers and was of intense interest to sumner the children loved him loved to be near him and never seemed to be in his way once when a toddling wee thing crept to his side while he was absorbed in writing took hold of his clothes drew herself to his feet and laid her head against his knee he placed a weight to hold his paper laid his hand on her head and went on with his work when some one would have removed her he looked up and said oh let the little one alone he spoke with profound admiration of mrs Perviance, wife of the member of congress from butler pennsylvania said he was sorry never to have met her her influence in washington society had been so ennobling that the friends of freedom owed her a lasting debt of gratitude she boarded with her husband at the national where her wealth independence and sparkling social qualities made her a recognized leader while all her influence was cast upon the right side he thought the success of the north in the famous struggle which elected banks speaker of the house was largely due to mrs Perviance. he was oppressed with anxiety about burlingame who had gone to canada to fight a duel and there was great rejoicing when he suddenly appeared one evening after the sun had hidden behind the pine trees he and sumner met and greeted each other with the abandon of boys no duel had been fought since brooks the challenger had refused to pass through pennsylvania to clifton the place of meeting for fear of mob violence even the offer of a safe conduct of troops by the governor failed to reassure him 
and Burlingame had hurried on to set his friend's mind at rest. After the general rejoicing, the two sat facing each other, when Sumner leaned forward, placed a hand on each of Burlingame's shoulders, and said, Tell me, Anson, you did not mean to shoot that man, did you? Burlingame's head dropped an instant, then raising it, he said slowly, I intended to take the best aim I could. Here he drew back his right arm and took the position of holding a gun. At the broadest part of him, his breast, wait for the word and then fire. Sumner dropped back in his chair, let his hands fall on his knees and exclaimed sorrowfully, Oh, Anson, I did not believe it. Burlingame's eyes filled with tears and he said, Charles, I saw you lying bleeding and insensible on the Senate floor when I did not expect ever again to hear you speak, and I intended then to kill him. I tell you, Charles, we have got to meet those fellows with guns some day, and the sooner we begin, the better. On being consulted, both these champions of the right said the visitor must not desert the cause. Sumner added solemnly, The slave never had more need of it, never had more need of you. So that editor went on with their work, feeling such an opinion as almost a divine call. In talking with Mr. Sumner during that visit, I learned that the same doctor attended both President Harrison and President Taylor in their last illness, and used his professional authority to prevent their friends seeing them until the fatal termination of their illness was certain. Also, it was said, that same doctor who was within call when Brooks made his assault on Sumner took charge of the case and made an official statement that the injury was very slight, gave it a superficial dressing, and sought to exclude everyone from the room of his patient, said Sumner. I shuddered when I recovered consciousness and found this man beside me. He dismissed him promptly and did not hesitate to say that he believed he would not have recovered under his treatment. When the South seceded, this useful man left Washington and joined the Confederacy. The campaign of 1856 was very spirited. A large mass meeting was held in Pittsburgh, and Cassius M. Clay was the orator of the occasion. He was at the height of a great national popularity, and seemed as if any honor might be open to him. He dined that evening with Robert Palmer of Allegheny and a small party of friends. The house was brilliantly lighted, and at the table, while Clay was talking, and everyone in gala day spirits, the light suddenly went out, and what a strange sensation fell on one guest, a feeling of coming evil. There was no relighting. The gas had failed, prophetic of the going out of that brilliant career, and its slow ending in the glimmer of a single candle. End of chapter 33